You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. So today's episode I am so, so excited about. I sat down with one of my dear friends, Mary Scott Mercer, and we had a conversation all about her health journey, what food was like growing up for her and her struggle with body image and labeling foods as good versus bad. And then we talk about her journey with chronic illness and navigating a diagnosis of Hashimoto's and finding the balance of prioritizing her health without the obsession that can so often come. So I'm so excited for y'all to sit in and listen to this conversation. And I hope whether you yourself are struggling with a diagnosis like Hashimoto's or you just have a history of navigating foods as good and bad and the the interaction that diet culture can have in our relationship with food. I hope you walk away from this episode having learned so, so much. So let's dive into today's conversation with Mary Scott Mercer. Hi, Mary Scott. Hi, how are you? Good. Welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I am um, yes. loving seeing your face right now and doing a podcast. And this is so, so fun. fun. Thanks for having yes. me. Yes, of course. I know it's like we're in the same place, but we're not really. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I am so excited to have you on the show. We were talking a little bit before we hit record just about your journey navigating Hashimoto's and navigating having to cut out or reduce certain foods and I know a lot of my listeners and clients can fully, fully resonate with the journey you've been on. So I would love to hear more about that, which is why I want to bring you on the show. So I would love to start with just hearing basically a little bit more about who you are for people who don't know Mary Scott mm-hmm. Mercer. Um, just tell me a little bit more about who you are, what you do and all of that. Yay. Well, this is so fun. I mean, (laughs) I used to be on a podcast. I'm not anymore. And so this is letting me like kind of go back to my old type of life, which is so fun. Um, But yeah, I'm Mary Scott Mercer. Um, Dylan and I have been friends very long time. We went to college together. Um, And I live in Columbia, South Carolina with my husband, Daniel, and our new puppy, Cooper. Um, And I am a full-time advocate and educator with a company called Beauty Counter. So um, I'm very passionate about wellness and clean beauty and really all sorts of things because um, I've kind of always struggled not only with my own wellness, but I grew up with a very sick parent. And so that's kind of um, impacted my view of basically all things health and wellness, especially as I've navigated my own autoimmune disease and things like that. So um, I love the work that you do, Dylan, and I'm pumped out of this conversation. 
Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like your career totally aligns with really your experience, which I'm sure is really helpful. So I would love to hear kind of back into whether it was high school or really where your food journey began and your wellness journey began and a little bit into that, maybe what food kind of looked like for you growing up. Yes. Well, <laughs> this, my journey with food uh, is a roller coaster and mm -hmm. I still, I mean, I would say I'm in probably the healthiest place I've been with food in my whole life, but it has been, I mean, I, I tell, I think I've said this uh, to friends of mine before and to my counselor, people like that, but yeah. I think my earliest memories of issues with my body we're like three and four years old, like yeah, looking yeah. in the mirror and just feeling unhappy with what I saw. Um, mm -hmm. Just thinking what's wrong with me. And that's, it's crazy looking back on it now because I, I, I mean, I was a cute little girl. There was nothing to be worried about, but I remember looking at myself in the mirror for the first time and feeling this urge to suck in my stomach. It's the weirdest mm -hmm. memory that I have. Um, yeah. And from there, I, I think I just had a disordered thought of myself for my whole life, honestly. And I think, um, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I think I had um, a mom with super pure intentions, but the way food impacted her really impacted me. And so um, that kind of meant for us growing up that we had good and bad foods, that we weren't mm -hmm. allowed certain foods. Um, you know, for us, for my brother and I, it meant that because those things were bad, we wanted it more. And so then there were things like putting food in the back of the refrigerator where we couldn't find it, locking the pantry and all of that. And, um, you know, thinking about it now, I, I feel like my mom, her heart was pure, but the way that impacted my food forever affected me. And ultimately what I did was it made me have a very scarcity mentality with food. So it meant mm. I'm going <clears> to <throat> overcompensate and overeat and over things anytime I can, because I always feel like there's not going to be enough. So that meant I would yeah. go to friends' houses and I would go bananas. Like, oh my gosh, they have the fun food. I'm going to eat this here because I'm not going to have it there, you know? Mm. Um, and it became just very much like food was, it was, I mean, for me, food was everything. It was fun. To this day, it's the best part of my day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was just this overwhelming thing. But it's, I never learned appropriate balance because it was always mm -hmm. a here or never kind of thing. Like it's either now or never. Mm -hmm. And I'm always going to go to these people's houses and, you know, <laughs> cause their, their parents let them do blah, blah, blah. And it, it was so funny to me. It's funny to me thinking back cause all of those friends of mine never struggled with body stuff because mm -hmm. it's almost like they were, they were never forced to um, have to choose if that makes sense. Anyway, yeah. so that was sort of always true for me. And then when my mom got really sick, things kind of escalated where food became mm -hmm. kind of my escape. So um, you know, my mom was in the hospital for years and years and people brought us food constantly. So food was, yeah. you know, it wasn't necessarily healthy food, but that's hitting the dirt or there, was <laughs> tons of, you know, breads and pastas and, you know, dessert and all the things. Mm -hmm. Um, and that for sure kind of became the way that I filled myself. So it was comforting to me. Um, it was something that kind of filled this gaping hole that feels really dramatic to say, but it just, no. it was fun and all things. So due to all of those um, habits, I would say that I was very disordered in my eating and ultimately was somewhat overweight, um, which just fed this, you know, you know, very, uh, you know, I'm going to have ice cream, but then I'm going to go do 50 crunches or mm -hmm. 
very, it was just all very disordered. And that probably happened from, you know, fifth grade until the end of college, (laughs) Um, where it was, you know, yo-yo diets, thousands and thousands of dollars spent with certain kinds of coaches. Um, And I would say that by the time I was 22 was when I really uh, developed a more holistic approach to food. Um, and it was also at that age, like from 20 to where I'm 26 now for the last six years where I've been extremely healthy and yet was still really struggling with my weight. Um, and not like I was super overweight, but I was carrying extra weight and I was ultimately just super uncomfortable. So, um, and no matter what I did, like literally no matter what I did, I couldn't lose any weight and I was exhausted. Um, and I lost my period. So I was like, well, all these things mm. are really, really interesting. Not to mention I had a pretty traumatically stressful childhood. So I finally, yeah. finally, finally got the diagnosis of Hashimoto's that I was looking for. And um, it took years for me to get that diagnosis mm. based be- just honestly with the certain tests that the doctors were allowed to run um, and things like that. And I also, through just my wellness journey, became super passionate about the type of doctor that I went to. And so I found finally... Um, a medical doctor with a really holistic approach to healing. And she was the one who finally gave me my diagnosis and it was super helpful and like very much like an aha, praise the Lord. Someone finally understands me moment because um, she helped me coordinate um, the years of chronic stress that my body was under fight and flight, fight or flight for years and years and years. um, And my inability to have any form of a metabolism and, when mm-hmm. I finally got my diagnosis with initially it was hypothyroidism. And then ultimately when I got my antibody testing, we got, I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So, um, that was a long short of it, but, um, it has been so helpful <laughs> because yeah. not only has it been one of those things for me where I felt like I wasn't crazy, but I was able to figure out how to kind of heal my body from all of the chronic insanity. I put it through for years and years and years and years. So, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's yeah. kind of where I am now. And it's been quite a journey. Mm, yeah, that's good. And so many questions that are like swirling through my yes, head as you're talking. <laughs> so one thing I want to go back to that I feel like there's people listening who can so resonate with the story you were talking about growing up with a mom who, like you said, and I love that you said this, meant so well. Like, And I see that with so many of my clients where I don't, I mean, a majority of the time, I'm sure the case may be different in certain situations, but a majority of the time I know that parents are well-meaning and they just want what's best for their kids. And so they think that to give their kid what's best, it's cutting out processed food, not having desserts in the house, only having fruits and vegetables and that sort of thing. So well-meaning, but then when you can see the harm that that can end up causing, it can be really hurtful and harmful for the child. Um, But I'm so glad you brought that up as far as like your mom, what it's not like she was intentionally being like, I want to make Mary Scott feel deprived. I want (laughs) to make her binge and all of these things. Yeah. Um, And ultimately I don't even think she knew, you know, like that's, it was all, it was all private, which is interesting. Looking back on, it was like a, not like a secret sin. I mean, that feels Mm -hmm. like dramatic, but it was very much like, covered up you know I did it in the secret places of my life and not publicly you know yeah because probably because it was like this is this quote-unquote bad thing so I can't do it in public like I don't I mean almost like a sinful thing like you mentioned like I don't if this is a food that's off limits then if I eat it it needs to be hidden I can never tell my parents about it 
And right. while I'm doing it, I might as well like make it worth my time. So I might as well like <laughs> eat the whole pint of ice cream instead of like just a scoop or two. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. And then as far as body image goes, you mentioned when you were like three or four, that being your like earliest memories. What do you think? Like when you remember looking in the mirror and noticing kind of that thought of like, I feel like my body isn't how it should be from your eyes, whether that was true or not, where do you think that messaging came from? Like, where do you think you learned what yeah. a body should look like? I, I, you know, it feels weird because like at three and four years old, it's not like we're exposed to culture really, but I mean, I guess mm-hmm. we are right. And in, yeah. inadvertently, like, I don't know. I think for me at that age, it was looking at other people my age, right? So mm-hmm. it was like looking at the people that I was doing life with. And, yeah. you know, ultimately to my, I don't remember this, but I just happened, I have to wonder if, you know, I was just surrounded by women and people who were constantly talking about appearance, right? So mm-hmm. it's just, it's so funny now because I've become so conscious of the kinds of conversations. Like, I don't know if you think this is true or not, I'm sure you do, but you know, if there's a group of people together and all of a sudden, one person starts complaining about one aspect of themselves. It kind of feeds mm-hmm. 10 other people to do the same, right? Yeah. And so I just have to wonder if, like, that's what I was exposed to, if I was seeing things on TV or if I was seeing, you know, friends of mine in mm-hmm. kindergarten who looked a certain way and wondering why I didn't. Um, but it's funny now because I, I think I'm so sensitive to it that I don't even – I, like, hear people start talking about body image, and I feel like I have to walk away um, mm-hmm. because it's just so – it's so sad. You know, I think yeah. we're, we're all um, – we all ultimately do it because we feel like we have to say something about ourselves either to get positive mm-hmm. affirmation back or to almost self-deprecate ourselves so that we can acknowledge what the other person may be thinking. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, and so I think I can't really pinpoint a time, but I think growing as I continued growing up, uh, obviously the messaging came from obviously my, my internal family of origin type conversation, mm-hmm. but then seeing my friends, um, hearing other parents talk about things, other kids, you know, athleticism or not, um, types of types of thing you did. And then just straight up culture. I mean, I think hundred calorie packs became a big thing when we were yeah. <laughs> growing up yeah. and like just the idea that, okay, well, if there's a hundred calories in that, maybe I should be counting that. And then well, mm. how many should I be eating? <clears throat> I mean, I just remember what I think in like sixth grade, I went to a Christian school growing up and we had a little Bible study and we met before school and everyone, you know, at, at that age, it's like, everyone's going to bring a donut and you know, yeah. all the things. And I remember telling myself, okay, you can only have one because there's 200 calories. And I'm like, how did I even know that? Like, yeah, it's just crazy. So I, I have to just wonder and assume that like, it was just the thing people talked about constantly, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cause it, it really is such a bonding thing almost for women, especially like totally. you get a group of three plus women together and somehow that ends up being like almost as common as like, what do you do for work? Where are you from? Exactly. Oh, I hate my arms. Like now. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What diet are you on? Like it's wild, but it's, it's, it makes, I feel like us in a sense feel good. Like, Oh, she doesn't like her body either. Like this makes me feel good because we're, we can kind of bond over that. hundred percent. Which is sad, but it's true. Yeah. And I remember one time I was with a group of people and one of the moms was like, telling like we just were inadvertently in a crowd the same thing happened someone talked about their body 
And she said in front of her daughters, hey, can we not talk about ourselves like that? My mm. girls are here. And I remember being, I could stop so in my tracks because I was like, oh, wow, like, yes. She's yeah. ex- like, it had never occurred to me that that was toxic for a child to hear. And then I was like, mm. yeah, well, that was toxic for me to hear. Like, what an amazing way to protect our kids. And yeah. I'm not a parent yet, but it has made me think a lot about um, just how this is going to affect me as a parent, because ultimately, like I, like I said, I love wellness. I love health. And so a lot of that means I like certain, you know, healthy foods. And I, my heart is yeah. sure wanting to feed my body, mean feed my family and feed my body a certain way, but it has made me wonder like how this is going to affect me. And I'm thankful ahead of time, you know, a, a lot of people haven't had the, you know, wave of effect I've had with body stuff. A lot of people have, but yeah. ultimately I'm grateful because I don't think that unless you've kind of walked through it yourself, you haven't, you don't have like the ammo and the foreknowledge mm-hmm. and the equipping you need to go and do better. So in a lot of ways, as much as it sucked and <laughs> it's probably yeah. still in hours, minutes, years of my life, I'm mm-hmm. thankful because I think ultimately I pray that it makes me, you know, a better mom to daughters in the future or whatever. Um, yeah. So yeah, anyway. Yeah. And that's like what you mentioned earlier. I think when you were talking about beauty counter, when you were saying, when you know better, you do better. 100%. And it's so true. And I think what I see so much too with body image and food is it can become such a generational thing where yes. like for your mom, it's likely that her mom probably was hard on her about food and For body sure. image. And so it's also Which really definitely new. was true of those generations. If you think back, like it's, I, yeah. I hear my grandmother to this day, you know, you know, so-and-so the first thing they say is so-and-so is so blank. And yeah. I, I think a few weeks, few months ago, maybe before all of the other things in our world were all over social media, there was a lot of things like 50 things you can say to someone that has nothing to do about their appearance. Mm-hmm. Like you're so kind or you're so generous. Yeah. And like, really making a point to compliment someone on stuff outside of their own appearance, you know? Yeah. Because that becomes like the number one thing that we define each other by um, about how someone looks. And it's going into so much of our conversation today, you know, of race relations, things like that. Like what if we stepped away from just anything externally? And it's funny because even if like I do lose a few pounds or whatever, there's still part of me that wants someone to notice, right? Like they're that Mm. part of us. I don't think we'll ever, I mean, hopefully yeah. maybe it'll go a little bit away, but there is like always going to, I think, be a longing inside of us to hear and be affirmed that like we're mm-hmm. doing something or it's noticeable or that we're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard, I think, constantly to kind of press up against that. And I think it starts by like kind of calling it out in other people. Like mm-hmm. if you hear someone talking about that being like, we don't need to talk, like you're so beautiful. Like, why are we having this conversation? Yeah. Like get those lies out of your head, you know, like, you, I don't know. I think that's where we start changing the conversation is like in these individual moments. Like, and I think yes. again, like going back to what we're, we're walking through in the world today, that's what people are saying about racial reconciliation, right? You have to call yeah. when you, right when you hear it. And yeah. that's how we like almost redefine the conversation and show people there's another way of conversing about ourselves and about each other. And there's so much more to life. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Deeper conversations. So anyway, I just got on a tangent, but no, that's good. Cause it can be so habitual too. like having conversations, whether they seem good, bad, innocent, et cetera, talking about body, all that sort of stuff is just so habitual when then it's like, what if I could give her a more meaningful compliment? Like instead of, Oh my gosh, you look so good like I'm so thankful you're my friend you're so compassionate or something that actually hits home more with someone 100% yeah but exactly like you said like until we call it what it is 
people may not even notice they're doing it or doing it 100%. unintentionally. Yeah. 100%. Um, so you were talking about your journey with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism and it, it sounded like it was a, not just a quick <laughs> journey, like it took years <laughs> no. and years and years. So I'm curious what it looked like for you to advocate for yourself in that process of like really knowing, cause I mean, I tell all my clients this of like, we know our body better than anyone else. And that's totally. work I do with clients too, to help them get even more in touch with their body. And so it sounds like you knew, okay, something is up with my body. It's not acting yeah. how I feel like it should. So yeah, what did that look like to advocate for yourself? Oh, it's so hard. And I, I think I want to preface this by initially saying that like, this is not like an anti type of doctor scenario. I think what I've come yeah. to realize is that there are so many um, roles in the healthcare space that sometimes it can be hard if you don't fit a certain exact, um, like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like an exact situation, an exact uh case by I know case basis. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That like you're the textbook example yes. in a sense. Yeah. Um, and for me, um, I mean, this is a little bit scientific, but I know for like TSH levels, but usually the goal is to be between zero and two. Um, yeah. But you, it, in my experience, um, like initially, I think my first test a few years ago was like a four and the doctor told me I was in normal range, which mm -hmm. I thought was true. And ultimately that was not optimal for me. And then it got worse and worse. So when I first, when I finally got my latest TSH numbers, I was like a six or seven. And so that was really, really far away. Um, so I did a few things. I mean, I got my, I went to a normal doctor a few years ago and really didn't get any information that I needed. And it's hard too, because there's such limited time that you have to speak and share your experience that I just kind of, you know, brushed it off and went up, went about my merry way. And then when I lost my period and really had a hard time coming off birth control, I went to um, a naturopath in Savannah when mm -hmm. I used to live there. And that kind of started my journey. Um, again, didn't get a Hashimoto's diagnosis then. I actually didn't even get any blood work done th there, which was interesting because my main focus was, you know, having a period again. I felt not only like really like terrible in general, like I was feeling mm -hmm. terrible, but I really felt crazy because I wasn't having a menstrual cycle. So that was like our main like goal. So I never had a blood mm. panel done or mm. anything, but I found out I wasn't ovulating. So we tried to fix those few things, but still like my cycle was like 40 to 50 days apart, which is not mm. normal. Yeah. Um, and found out I wasn't ovulating and all the things. So I had, how did I, oh, I talked to a friend of mine who I actually do beauty counter with. She's a health coach and she had found a really fantastic doctor who was an MD mm -hmm. in Charlotte, North Carolina, but was really um, holistic in her approach and actually didn't take any insurance because what she found as a, a doctor was that there were so many rules and regulations from the insurance company that she wasn't able to treat her, um, her clients or her patients the way she yeah. wanted to. So I had to kind of pay an arm and a leg to go to this woman to get everything done that I needed to get done. But I finally got exact diagnosis that I've been looking for. She knew exactly the tests to run. She was there to help listen to me. Um, and ultimately what was really cool is once I actually got the diagnosis from the doctor, um, they wanted to know just about my family history. And that was the first time mm -hmm. that someone looked at me and said, I mean, you've probably been, your body was creating antibodies, which I'm going to say this not scientifically enough. You're going to be able to correct me. But basically, I think, and you can correct me, that we develop yeah. antibodies when our body is trying to fight something, right? So we're, yeah. we develop these things. And so she, it was for the first time that she was like, you know, 
when you were 10 years old and your mom started being sick, you instantly started living in a place of survival, right? And then Mm -hmm. your thyroid, which I thought this was really cool. Your thyroid is your voice, right? And for someone Mm -hmm. who's constantly after people pleasing and making sure everyone else is okay. And for someone who's constantly suppressing their own emotions, suppressing how they feel, um, all of that is telling your body that you have no voice and that is uniquely tied to your thyroid. So what would happen Mm -hmm. if you started just meditating and breathing in and out and calming your parasympathetic nervous system. What would happen if you were slow when you ate? (laughs) What would happen? And obviously there was a ton of food rules, which you can talk about in a second, but she even said, I would rather you eat slow and have Taco Bell than eat the correct thing and not be slow. Like just, it was just interesting for me to hear. And obviously I'm on medication and things like that, but there was so much more of a 360 view on how to tackle this than just saying, here's a pill, go on your merry way, see you in a year, where it was more like, okay, our goal is for you not to be on medication for the rest of your life. It may be the case for you, but what if we attack this from all angles? You know, tell me about your sleep. Tell me about your exercise. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm um, someone who just, I love exercise. Like, you don't have to ask me to do it. I want to do it. Um, It's like something I super duper enjoy. So I was going to a very intense, like, boot camp scenario and she actually told me to step away from that because I was mm. in such a stressed out place in my my body that all of that extra stuff was just spiking my cortisol, spiking mm. my adrenals. My adrenals were shot. And so I stepped back and started doing things like bar three and some yoga and lot, lots of walks. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was just, it's just so, it was really helpful for me to really take a humongous approach. And obviously personal care products and our environmental toxicity, all of this plays a massive, um, a massive play into our overall health. But I was thankful that this doctor was able to talk to me about all every single one of those things. And some of them, like we were going to talk about is like eliminating gluten, um, you know, being cautious of your types of dairy and things like that, which we can get into. But um, that was sort of just my journey. And I've I've been really Mm -hmm. thankful to be on a super, not super fast, it's been about a year, um, year of recovery, but my number is going dramatically down, feeling a lot better, feeling like I almost know myself better. So I, I can tell if um, I need to chill. I can tell if I need to cut yeah. back a little bit on my caffeine because I'm a little bit of a coffee active. <laughs> <laughs> but again, if you're in this fight or flight constantly, you do have to be a little bit careful of your environmental stressors. And yeah. um, at the time I was working three jobs. So there was mm. just a lot of things that I did to remove this constant like stress in my life. And I think that was a huge, I mean, there was tons of indicators of why this was something I was experiencing, but stress was a massive one of them. And anyway, I'm going in circles, but now it's kind of my experience so far. Yeah. And it sounds like from that provider, it was the first time you were really like truly seen in your healthcare journey because she saw you as more than just another patient basically like she wanted to see you from the individual level and see okay what could be causing this and sure we may need medication we may need to cut out foods but what are other areas and that's 100%. a huge huge piece of health is knowing that health is so much more than the food we put in our body and even 100%. the way we move our body like it plays into our mental health and our spiritual health and really so all of the different pillars. So you can't just put all your eggs in one basket. Well, it's hard too, especially when, I mean, I've talked a little bit on social media that I have Hashimoto's and even trying to have conversations with people about whether or not I think they, it's just like hard because this is such a unique 
experience and my experience with Hashimoto's been like completely different than, you know, someone like I have a friend who's had mm. Hashimoto's since she was seven years old. Right. So like mm. we have had completely different experiences. Um, mine's going to play out differently based on the season of life I'm in. Like, mm-hmm. um, again, environmental stressors, things I can remove. And so it's hard to like kind of blanket statement. Okay. Yeah. You need to go do blank. And that's where that individual mm-hmm. care I think was really helpful. Someone who really genuinely wanted to take the time to like help me. Um, and help me figure it out, especially with someone who feels like she has a lot of knowledge <laughs> um, yeah. and, and yet feel like I was so misunderstood or so like I felt crazy because like I was able mm-hmm. to do all this research and yet no one was able to give me anything. And I was like, this mm-hmm. is not right. You people, you don't yeah. understand. And that's where yeah. I was, I was tempted to go back into that kind of diet mindset because I was so strict about certain things. Like, okay, surely if I eat exactly this way, then blah, blah, blah. And nothing mm-hmm. ever worked for me. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I felt like a hamster on a wheel, you know, like yeah. spinning my wheels, spinning my wheels, spinning my wheels. Like why, can't anything work for me? Why do I always Mm. want to fall asleep at 2 p.m.? Like, why can I not lose a pound? Why, like, Mm. why is everything so broken and then feeling like you're crazy? (laughs) Yeah. I was feeling, I felt a lot like I had imposter syndrome and like, I felt like a hypocrite because Mm -hmm. what I felt like I knew and was maybe talking about didn't actually apply to me or Mm. it wasn't working for me. And I didn't understand why, if that makes sense. So yeah. Anyway, it's been a, yeah, it's been quite a journey. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. And what you brought up too about insurance plays a huge role. Cause I, I wonder too, if a lot of the doctors that you saw beforehand maybe would have wanted to give you more of a holistic individual approach, but with the barriers of insurance, I mean, I don't take insurance in my practice for that exact reason of insurance companies put regulations around how many sessions you can have, how long they have to be hundred percent things like that, which yeah. I had no idea that was a thing. And, and I, I, exactly. And I think there, that just goes, and I think I was actually talking to a friend of mine who's a nurse recently and she started paying out of pocket to go to a Mm. holistic health provider and like very similar scenario. And she was like, it's just a healthcare it's just like a broken system. It has nothing to yeah. do with doctors and nurses yeah. not wanting to be as good or helping you. It's just that like every everything is just working upon a system that was already yeah. in place. And so we're all just doing the best we can. And so that's what's yes. so hard about this. Um, but sometimes it comes at the cost of people not understanding what's wrong with them. But I'm grateful yeah. because, you know, had this continued on and I started wanting to have children, Mm-hmm. then this would have been a huge, I mean, my doctor said it would probably have been extremely poss- impossible for me to carry a child past 12 weeks, like things like mm-hmm. that, that, you know, I would have found myself maybe starting an infertility journey yeah, um, and not knowing why, you know, yeah. <laughs> just like, I just, I mean, I don't know what it's like for every single person, but I would, I would just, it makes me wonder, you know, how many people are in these really painful, heartbreaking scenarios mm-hmm. um, where they find themselves and they feel like they're spinning their wheels. They don't know what's going on and they just feel crazy. And that's exactly yeah. what I was like, this just does not make a lick of sense. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what would you like, if there's someone listening, whether they're navigating Hashimoto's or just some sort of feeling where they're like, something's off and I can't figure out what's wrong. What would you say to that person? Oh gosh, I think it comes, and this goes back to kind of my thoughts with all things in life, but I think it comes with like, you have to be your own educator and you have to be your Mm. own advocate. And I think you have to have a wide variety of opinions that you ask or get, because I also found myself in a hole at at points in my wellness journey 
where people's thoughts contradicted each other. And I'm sure you experienced this a lot, Dylan, Mm -hmm. (laughs) being in the work that you're in, because there's a million different opinions on the best thing that you can do for yourself. Um, But for me, it was, it was simply like, I mean, I read, okay, books like Beyond the Pill by Dr. Jolene Brighton, or a book called Woman Code. And some of those books may be a little bit hard if you're someone with very uh, strict thoughts on food and things like Mm -hmm. that. But they were helpful for me to think past you know, past, you know, birth control, like, okay, what are there small things that I can do to see if maybe I can get my period back? Or is there, there was terms in these books um, or terms in like webinars that I watched or books that I read or people I followed on social media that had been in my shoes where I learned what their stories were. And that gave me almost like words and um, perspective and things to be thinking about for me. Oh yeah, that happened to me too. Mm. Um, Oh, that's the that's the hormone that she said affected blank. Okay. Maybe I should look in to that hormone and how it relates to me. You know, like, is that how I feel? I don't know if that makes sense. And it's just like, that's when, you know, I just had to spend a ton of time researching doctors and where I Mm -hmm. wanted to go and asking people for help and listening to things like a podcast episode like this. Like I would spend hours um, listening to Mm. you know, hormone related podcasts, not only because I was struggling with it, but I'm also really interested in it. So it was like, I just had to, um, I had to take as much effort and time in becoming an expert in myself and almost like jotting down symptoms, like paying attention to things like, why do I have a headache right now? Or Mm. why, why, you know, why every single day do I feel like I need to fall asleep or have a cup of coffee at two 30, like things like that that were helpful. Why am I so hungry? right after I have a meal. Why is that? Like, was there Mm. no fat in that? Okay. What is fat? Like, I didn't understand anything about fat. Maybe I'll research about how fat applies to my diet. You know, like it just kind of all built on each other. Um, and it's going, I mean, that's kind of how my journey in general has been. It's like one thing leads me to learn about another thing, which leads me to learn about another thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's just kind of how my journey was. And I think it was surrounding myself with, um, content. And again, you have to be careful about content that, related to how I was feeling and just kind of fact checking it against myself and Mm. against other people. And I don't know, but yeah, Yeah. being educated and also um, advocating for yourself. Like, again, I think you hear this across the board with people in health situations, but like no one's going to fight for you. Like you fight for you and that's your choice, right? Like you can, you can fall asleep to your symptoms and assume this is just how it's supposed to be, but I promise you Mm. it ain't supposed to be this way. Yeah, And I think that's what a lot of people get so comfortable with. Like, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, yeah, I have a headache every single day at three. And I'm like, well, what do you think that, why? And they just never thought about, well, what, like, I think that's where we have to get back to the root of all issues, right? Like, why mm. am I having a headache? And I think it, that's where, you know, I started asking myself, why would I have a headache every single night? Why do I feel like I'm nine months pregnant after every meal? Like, mm. and, you know, I had a, I had a well-intentioned family member who's in the medical field tell me when I was talking about bloating once to just take a pill every single day. And I was mm. like, you know, that just doesn't sit well with me, right? I don't believe that yes, a probiotic and things like that are helpful in maintaining uh-huh. that. But why would I mask up a symptom with a bandaid when I can do a little bit of a deeper dive and ask myself, is there something that I'm doing every single day that might be causing this discomfort, you know? Um, and it's just hard, but no one's going to, again, I think a, a hard part of this, and I'm sure you come across this too, Dylan, but 
Mm-hmm. The hard part of doing the work. I mean, this goes to all things. This goes to like doing the work and therapy and the hard work yeah. of like doing things with physical health is you kind of have to make changes that may seem unpopular or that may mm. seem really hard. Like I, my mother-in-law um, has rheumatoid arthritis and there's all, I mean, you know this, there's a lot of research that says gluten, yeah. going gluten-free would be helpful mm-hmm. for eliminating pain, right? Or you yeah. know, swelling. Um, and I find her saying it's just so hard because I've never lived this way before. And mm-hmm. it's true. Like th- sometimes depending on your illness um, and depending on what you're going through, depending on your heart, like there is work that is required and kind of like a learning curve. And I think yeah. that there is an element of having to be okay with pressing up against that. And again, like for me, I pressed up against that and I've come on the other side where I have gluten sometimes and I survive, you know, but like sometimes we have to be willing to, to try new things and to unlearn things. And I think the unlearning thing has been really hard for me because I mean, Mm. there was, there was entire years where I barely, barely ate carbs, you know, but having to Mm. unlearn that knowledge that I heard what carbs were bad, you know, like, yeah. And seasons where I've had to count macros just to show myself that I'm, I'll survive if I have a sweet potato. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also yeah. With, and I think that's where we have to kind of take tools and we just continue to put things in our belts to show ourselves what is okay, how it mm. relates to us. And, and, you know, I don't know if that, I feel like I'm, yeah. but it's, no, that's just good. Required, it's that required like desire to want to feel better. And that has to be enough for you to like trial and error and um, educate and be willing to give yourself enough credit and attention to maybe get on the Mm -hmm. other side of whatever you're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much power in asking questions because I think it's so easy, especially like what you mentioned with like things as simple as like a headache that even isn't like simple, but maybe something as common as a headache. It's like, Oh, let me just take some ibuprofen, Mm -hmm. which is more of like a bandaid and that's fine. But really asking yourself like, okay, this seems to be a common thing that might be my body telling me there's a bigger thing here. And maybe as simple as I'm not having enough water today. Yeah. Like, like that's like, maybe I had too much coffee this morning and my body's like, Hey girl, it's a hundred degrees out here. Like drink some water. I need something. And I think that our body, uh, this was the best thing my doctor ever said. And I'll Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. This was so freeing to me, but Mm -hmm. I spent my entire life thinking my body is broken. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, Mary Scott, your body is not broken. Your body is responding to everything you've put it through and it's doing yeah. its best to survive. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with your body. And I, I remember like almost wanting to cry mm, because I had I had convinced myself there was something ultimately wrong with me. And the reality was is it was literally surviving because I'd put it mm-hmm. in one stressful scenario after another. And it was just doing its freaking best. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> and oh my I remember gosh. just being so stuck. And there's times in my life, like say like, I think this is the most female thing to say, and I hope this is relatable, but like every single time that period comes now, I'm like, it's, I find myself complaining, which is so funny because I spent years with that one, but I always gain a lot of water weight on my period. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I have to remember, like I had tell myself sometimes, oh my gosh, thank, thank you body 
for having yeah. this morning. And thank you for doing whatever you think is best to protect myself. And I think it goes back, I was reading one time about a, a pregnant woman talking about gaining extra weight during pregnancy. And she, she reframed it in her mind as the protection her baby needed. And mm. just like that imagery of like, Oh, yeah. what a gracious body that this, mm. this huge, this like flesh and bone allowed me to walk down the street to say hey to my mm -hmm. neighbor or go for a run because I was feeling really anxious and my, my, mm -hmm. my adrenaline and all that, it's like making me feel good. And oh my gosh, my body is like so smart that it told me that it needed to eat right now. Like, I yeah. don't know, that was just such a helpful thing that she told me to start really appreciating um, and being just super kind to my body. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like at the end of the day, we're our own best friends. And like, this is yes. the only body we're ever going to have. Yes. And just almost feeling this need to apologize to myself and to the skin and bones for how mean I'd been to it. Mm -hmm. I it sounds so silly, but no, that's so I true. Just had been so cruel to myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, body, soul, spirit, for mm -hmm. years and years and years putting myself through all this hell. I mean, obviously some of it was not my fault and my body was responding in ways to keep myself sane then and protected then. But there was also so much that I contributed to the scenario. And I think just owning the fact that I have contributed something to this and I'm so sorry. And I will learn to listen to you again. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's kind of your whole message, Dylan. It's yeah. like this learning to listen to myself. And to be honest, for years, I just didn't trust myself. Like mm -hmm. I didn't trust that I knew best. And I, obviously there are mm -hmm. things that we have to do to kind of teach our bodies certain things and break through certain types of resistances and things hormone related. But at the end of the day, my body isn't lying to me, you know? Mm, um, yes. So yes. learning to pay attention to those cues, like those were God given cues for survival and yeah. I had rejected them forever. Um, mm. Anyway, that, I just remember forever her saying that to me and just feeling yeah, like that's good. this aha of like, you're so right. Like, I'm just doing the best I can. My body's doing mm. the best I can. And there are things I can do to aid the process, but mm. my body's not out to get me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Trusting your body is huge. And I feel like we live in a culture and when we look at diet culture that wants anything but us to trust our body because we have all these diets and these pills and these supplements and all of this stuff that is kind of a band aid, and also more so like, okay, trust this don't trust your body. And then, then it takes us further and further away from that where we get mm -hmm. so disconnected with our body. Mm -hmm. And then like what you're talking about of journeying through what does it look like to connect back with my body and to pay attention to what it's telling me. And then to know how to respond, like when I have this headache or when I feel hungry after eating lunch, like what do I do after that? 100%. Mm. So one last question I have too about Hashimoto's, how in knowing your history with food and your journey growing up with food and body image, so navigating a diagnosis like Hashimoto's that does have such a, definitely has nutrition implications of having to cut out or restrict certain foods, how have you found navigating that in like a healthy way instead of more of like, a good versus bad food or totally. feeling guilty. Like, yeah. Tell yeah. me more about that. Well, I think, you know, it's so, and that's just so funny. I was talking to a friend the other day about food and I had to ask her ahead of the time if it was okay for me to answer, because I think it's so hard. Like someone's going to hear me say what I did and instantly yeah. take it on as theirs. Right. 
So yeah. just know this ahead of time. This is true for me. <laughs> um, yes. But you know what yes. I mean? It's so hard to like share what you've been doing um, anyway. But I think for me, like I was pretty cold turkey with gluten for a while. And I think what's hard about Hashimoto's compared to something like I have two family members with celiac. And obviously mm-hmm. the way gluten affects them is completely different than how it affects me, right? Like everything for yeah. me is under the surface. I don't, I don't run to the toilet and have, excuse me, diarrhea for a day because I had gluten, <laughs> right. right? Whereas like yeah. that's true for some of my family members. And that's why they're so like scared of it, right? Because it tears them up and it's just mm-hmm. a different autoimmune disease. But for me, I think it's hard because it's underneath the surface. So I don't see it affecting me. Um, but for me, I mean, I was pretty, you know, pretty quote, strict at the beginning. And I will Mm -hmm. also say that praise the Lord, we have such fantastic food products at our disposal for people who are a little bit more cautious about gluten. Um, but for me, it came back honestly to, um, again, just like listening. Like I, I make my husband loaves of sourdough bread. I know you guys do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a few weeks ago I made a loaf of bread. It's not gluten-free. And I was like, I just really want it. And it was fine. And I just like kind of let myself do it. It's kind of like, um, again, I don't label it as like a cheat or anything like mm-hmm. that, but I think that it just comes to like realizing that there's going to be a time and a place. And my doctor said this too, where you are going to have gluten again. So she said, mm-hmm. don't even, she doesn't even like the phrases gluten-free and dairy-free because they're, it's not true. Like one day you will have a pizza that's normal and it'll yeah. survive and it'll be okay. Um, cause we might not all be in scenarios where we can make something happen, um, and things like that. But I think for me, I, like I had some gluten the other day and for dairy, especially like for me, a lot of it, and this is true, just kind of how I approach life, but it has a lot to do with sourcing. So like Mm -hmm. I'm probably more likely to have gluten if it's like sourdough bread that I made because Mm -hmm. I, I know exactly what's in it and things like that. But also again, there's, that's not always going to be true. Um, I think too, for a long time, I, I attributed gluten as carbs. So I just wasn't really, (laughs) yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think because I've gotten more comfortable with carbs, I don't feel as scared of gluten. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, but I, I mean, I just think it's like coming down and like, I don't put restrict, like, I just remember for years when I was extremely strict about types of food, I felt so embarrassed when people would be like, well, Mary Scott, can you have that? You know, can, can you, mm-hmm. and I just felt so signaled out, um, which was eye opening to me because I didn't like that attention. I didn't like being the mm-hmm. girl who was extra, extra, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, it's hard to say that because there are obviously people really more, you know, including me a lot of the time that can't do it. And so it's like this very hard tension to manage of, um, being okay. Sometimes of of like, you know, breaking the rules, quote unquote, again, not Mm -hmm. a rule, breaking the suggestions. But I think for me, it helps to remember that my gluten issue is not a diet issue. It's like a health Mm -hmm. issue. And Mm -hmm. so that makes it not feel restrictive to me. Like, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm suppressing it because I'm trying to lose weight. Does that make sense? It's yeah, more of like yeah. when I've realized the why, and I think this goes with all things, the why behind the what. So the why of mm-hmm. me having gluten is so these antibody antibodies can heal better, right? So that is mm-hmm. why I don't have gluten every single day. But mm-hmm. because it's not attached to like my weight, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like I'm not having it. And so now I really want it. Does that make sense? Yes. Um, yes. And so I think for me, like that's really ultimately how it's come down to. It's all about that shift of my perspective of like, okay, 
I know that my ultimate health is going to be more benefited if I restrict this type of food. And I know that it'll be optimized if I eat a lot of this kind of food, but Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be true of my every single day. And so if I go on vacation or I'm at a birthday party, um, then that's just true. I will say though, I've just been really, it's been okay. Like it's been totally fine. I think I, I thankfully, like I have so many great gluten-free recipes and things that Mm -hmm. I eat that I don't feel at all. Like I'm deprived at all. Like there's no deprivation involved in this because I, again, just like educating and advocating for myself, I've, I've figured out ways to make my life still super enjoyable. And so Mm -hmm. I don't feel like sad that I'm eating gluten-free pretzels. They're still pretzels to me. Um, and so does that make sense? Because it's not attached to a diet. It doesn't feel as like restrictive. Like ultimately I'm, my goal is to improve my overall, like overall health. And so if I know you know, to be cautious of this and more optimal on that, then I'm going to do it. It's just like why mm-hmm. I eat, you know, try and eat grass fed beef versus conventional, mm-hmm. but beef with like lower fat or high fat, low fat. I'm going to eat something mm-hmm. with more fat because I understand the brain function value. Right. Yeah. And I know that by eating low fat, I'm like, I'm keeping my body from all these incredible nutrients and blessings Mm -hmm. that food have to offer me. Right. So I think that's just where that knowledge and the shift of perspective from diet culture to health is helpful Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. for me, at least because I, I want, like, it makes me excited to like reap the benefits that I'm, you know, of the food I'm eating. And so Mm -hmm. that, I don't know, I'm going in circles, but that has kind of, that's good. But I just also just, I've kind of taked all, taken all stress out of food because food again is like my favorite thing in the world. So mm-hmm. another thing that my doctor said when eating was trying to make meal times as stress-free as possible. So like, you know, eating slowly, trying to eat without mm-hmm. TV, like all of those kinds of things, like really enjoying the process of cooking. I love cooking. Yeah. All of that has so much to do with our digestion and understand. It's just, again, for me, it was understanding how and why, and then ultimately, like seeing the benefit of that and still enjoying my life, you know? Mm, yeah. And I love what you mentioned about really digging into your why of like, I'm not eating or I'm limiting the gluten, yes. the dairy that I eat because of this health issue that I have. And I think 100%. that is the huge shift because I think when you're eliminating it for like aesthetic reasons of like, I want to lose weight, I want to yeah. fit in, I wanted this, I wanted that, that's where that like, weight cycling and that hamster wheel of diets comes in of then you cut out the gluten, but all you can think about is the gluten versus when, yeah, I was going to say that the funny thing about this is going gluten-free won't make you lose weight because a bunch of gluten-free products just are pumped with sugar. So I think Mm -hmm. like, that's what, that's just culture in itself, right? Like we assume going free of something, we should ultimately be skinnier. But when you don't have the knowledge of what's actually in your food, you realize that that doesn't make a lick of sense. And so, yeah, that's good. you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yes. going gluten-free doesn't mean you lose weight. I promise. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you may as well, if you can tolerate it and your face isn't breaking out and you don't have a nine month, about nine month pregnant stomach yeah. and you're going to bed. Okay. And like, Oh, then mm-hmm. fine. Then that's great. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. I just think, I don't know if that's where this whole like knowing better, doing better thing. Cause like, if you really understand food and what's in your packaging, then you would be able to read most gluten-free packages and realize that it's just full of something else. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. <laughs> so, Same with like the low fat food, like you mentioned, yes. hundred calorie pack, like, yeah. Anyway, oh, it's just so, so silly. So good. We're also yes. affected. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which then goes back to what you were talking about earlier of 
um, just like knowing your source too of like, 100%. okay, the people, cause I'm sure even with like Hashimoto's or any sort of diagnosis, like I see it all the time where there's two ends of the spectrum. There's the super oh, restrictive, yes. like there's some strict yeah. Hashimoto's people out yeah. there, some strict. And I'm just yeah. like, I, I just am going to enjoy life with a cup of coffee in here. I'm just yeah. going to like, it yeah. matters too much for me to have my morning coffee than to mm-hmm. go drink matcha every day. And listen, I love a matcha latte, but mm-hmm. I like, that's what I'm saying. Like there, there is so much to be said about progress and not perfection. And there are a ton of companies and people that I follow that I admire, but even their, their extent of health, like selling their homes and building a non-toxic home. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, there's like 0.2% of humans who can afford to do that. So we're going to yeah, do the best we God. can with what we've got, you know? Yes. And I, yeah. You just have to be, you have to be like, I have to bring myself back down to earth sometimes um, Mm -hmm. of just like, you know, you're going to be okay. We're all going to survive. And like the the sovereignty of my life does not rest on whether I had a piece of gluten or not today. And Mm -hmm. we're all going to be okay. Cause I can't, I can't keep taking myself so seriously. Cause the funny, like hysterical part about all of that is I might be gluten-free, but that stress of it is actually causing my adrenals and my cortisol to spike, which is then causing me to be stressed, which is then affecting my Hashimoto's. So it's like, yes, Yes. I'm (laughs) so glad you said that. Like, yes. It's so stupid. (laughs) Yeah. If you're, if you're so busy stressing about food, then maybe you're doing all the quote unquote right things, but your stress levels are through the roof. So 100%. then you feel all the same symptoms. Oh, I'm so <sighs> glad you said that. Yeah. Cause I think, I mean, and that's one thing with this whole coronavirus thing that I think has been so eye opening for all of us as a culture to see how much stress we live with and how much stress we can actually live without and 100%. how cutting things out of our schedule and slowing down, like you said, like having meals at the table not having to like run through a drive through and eat in your car while you're rushing to the next meeting or whatever can be so, so helpful. Uh, so 100%. good. And at the end of the day, I still want to love food and that's, yes. it's just food is yes. everything to me. So yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like, Which is, yes. uh, it is what it is. Like my husband yes. thinks of food, like a chore, like he literally thinks eating mm. is like work and I uh, can't even comprehend it. Um, yes. But food is like, everything I think about, like I eat breakfast, I'm thinking about what I'm eating for lunch, you know, and I just, I do feel like finally with just years of knowledge and years of coming up against failed, failed, failed thing after failed, failed, failed thing, I can Mm. totally enjoy stuff. And it's so fun. Like I I think the other day I had a bowl of rice and I was like, I can't even Mm. believe I'm doing this. Like Mm. it's, it's just funny. Like years that I deprived myself yesterday I had ice cream at lunch on a Sunday and I would have I can't even dream of having done that like a year ago you know yeah and it's Mm. just funny like where you you show yourself you can do something you survived and Mm -hmm. I don't know I think that's the thing sometimes we have to show ourselves we'll be okay yes yes because you have those almost like inner demons in a sense that are like don't do that because this is going to happen Right. And then when you basically challenge that and you're like, oh, I ate ice cream at lunch and the world's still spinning. Life yep. is still going on. We are good. Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's a great segue into, I said last question earlier, but now this is really, <laughs> <laughs> this is for real, the last question. <sighs> so uh, just kind of a fun question. I, because like what you mentioned about food is food, of course, is food and it's fuel for our body, but it's also so much more. It's memories, experiences, culture, it's all of these different things. And so I would love to hear what maybe one, because I'm sure you have a lot as I know. a foodie like me, <laughs> but what one of your, 
one of your favorite food memories is, whether it's like a restaurant or a recipe that you make or something growing up or that's like asking me to pick a favorite child of those that I don't have. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll say two things. I yeah. think what you just described, the, one of the best books I've ever read that described it. And I, it's literally my favorite book because I love the way it talks about food, but Bread and Wine by Shauna Nequist. Yes. Oh, I talked about that book. It's so good. It's so good because she just talks about like, uh, I don't know, the beauty of food. Like, oh, I feel like, again, it feels so dramatic, but like, I genuinely think it was here to be um, excited, right? Uh, but food, favorite food memory. I know, it's so hard. Oh, this is so hard. I mean, oh, or even just like a favorite. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So like I, I've mentioned before, my mom was sick a lot of growing up and my mom really did, was not really a cook. Like she didn't love cooking. Um, but I love to cook. Like I, mm -hmm. yesterday, I think I cooked for like a whole seven hours prepping food for the week. But I think that all started because when my mom was like, I lived with one of my aunts for all, like mm -hmm. all the time. And she had the most beautiful kitchen and cooked for us constantly. And I, I associated like comfort with being in aunt Karen's kitchen. And she mm -hmm. always said something I needed. So we would, we would make um, pumpkin bread and have that in the morning, yeah. or we would just watch a stew, like, you know, steam mm -hmm. for hours. We'd make like pastries or every single Christmas we'd wake, make all of our treats. And there's something about her house. There was always coffee in a pot. There was always tea to be made. And there was so much beauty to me in the process and in the taste and what it did in the way that she created her home, that food and my favorite memories always happened there. And mm -hmm. then I pray, you know, that's like my heart when I think about like what I'm doing in my own home, right? Like, am I creating yeah. a place and creating a space where people feel like they can come have meaningful conversation mm -hmm. or they're eating mm -hmm. something truly delicious. Like I think mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite compliments that I've ever gotten that I get sometimes is people are always so shocked. They're like, you know, for, for being such a healthy person, this is really good. And I'm like, that's a great <laughs> thing to hear because yes. it's just like the, what it means to use a spice and what it means to use mm -hmm. garlic and an onion. And um, yeah. so I just think all of that is like my favorite, but I would say it's like tied back to what food was for me as a place of learning. Like I learned mm -hmm. about how to cook there and like what it made me feel like. And yeah. I think that we all have the ability to create that in our homes and, you know, invite people into our spaces where they feel seen and heard. And, um, mm. and it can be so nourishing and so beautifully, yes. like, again, like food is medicine, you know, I, mm -hmm. at least that's what I believe. And yeah. there's so much power that food has not only in like the yumminess of it, but in mm -hmm. the way that it makes me feel. And yeah, that just goes back to the fuel part. And so I just love food. It's hard for me to pick. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say so that, that overall thing of growing up in that kitchen was my favorite. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I could literally, like this question, I'm like, I could talk about this for a whole podcast. I know. Like, I know. Tell me more about the pumpkin I'm like, bread which recipe. type of food? Do you mean to go into like my favorite salad? Yeah. Or my favorite, my favorite, comp, like all that. This, yes. we got to break it down into subtypes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Um, well, Mary Scott, this has been so fun. Thank and you. again, we could talk for hours, but this has yes. been so, so helpful. And I just, I know this is going to be a great source for so many people who are struggling, whether again, it's with something like Hashimoto's or even just navigating food and how to find the balance between eating to nourish your body and eating for just enjoyment and fun. 
Totally. So thank you so much for, for on here and for just your vulnerability too and sharing some of your story because I know that's not always easy or fun to talk about, but mm. it's going to, for sure, I know it already has touched so many people's lives and it's oh. going to continue. So still if, um, if people who are listening want to follow you because you post so many amazing recipes and just, Gosh. and you just got a new puppy and I love all the puppies. So where can people find you? Um, okay, well, I mean, I should have multiple places, but I don't. So you can come hey, find me on great. Instagram at yes. just at Mary Scott Mercer. Um, we may have a website here in the coming days for food, but it's not alive yet. So <laughs> just keep following me there and yes. see if anything comes up. <laughs> yes. Oh, perfect. Oh, okay. thanks, well, Dylan. Thank you so much, friend. Talk to you soon. Bye.